Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again, everyone, here on the 18th of June. This is Mornings with Carmen. Of course, for the last couple of weeks, it has been Mornings Without Carmen. She will be back on Monday. I'm sure she will be filling in with all sorts of details from her trip and her fitness camp away. I know I saw some pictures of her and her sister as well as some of the reports there. And it sure sounds like she's been having a great time away. And uh, so glad for her and all the work that she does on this show to help us wake up and Work through some of the headlines of the day, some of the things that matter to us as believers in a, in a faithful and biblical kind of fashion. It's been delightful to be all uh, with all of you these two weeks. I'm Peter Kapsner. I've been filling in. And, and just so fun to wake up each morning thinking about these things that matter for us as believers with, with some humor, with some wit, with some wisdom, and, and the amazing guests that come into the program. If you missed that first hour, it's really worth going back to catch some of what Adam Carrington had to say about the Supreme Court and some of the decisions that came through here really recently that will certainly impact our lives as believers moving forward. I know we had a text coming into the studio that said, uh, always nice to start the day receiving the political news-wise through uh, mornings with or without Carmen, and Adam Carrington was fantastic. He is fantastic. He was the first part of last hour and did just uh, uh, brought us into the accessibility of those decisions in a way that, that makes sense. And, of course, then Dan DeWitt joined us and talked about the Southern Baptist Convention passing of the torch to a new president, and he's on the inside of those conversations and will help us understand a little bit about how that will impact us as well. And, of course, up next here, it is a Friday morning, and Adam Holtz from PluggedIn.com. We're going to cut off this segment a little early because Adam and I, I think, have somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,147 different media ventures to cover. There's a lot that's coming out in terms of some new TV shows as well as some pretty interesting headlines coming from uh, an actress of the show The O.C. and how she was pressured to lose her virginity as part of that. Just some disturbing headlines, and Adam will, as Adam always does, help us walk through that coming up next. Adam, let's dive right in. we got a lot to cover, you and me, this morning. A lot of different shows coming out, a lot of different blogs, streaming opportunities that we should try to hit on a little bit for those of us that have kids and or grandkids and we want to watch these shows. Uh, go to PluggedIn.com. You can see a review of a lot of different kinds of shows and media opportunities with Adam. So, Adam, I confess that I didn't know there was a Peter Rabbit 1, and now there's a Peter Rabbit 2. So take us into Peter Rabbit 2. This is a show I, I bet I want to see with my younger kids. Yeah, you know, this is a, a sequel to a movie that came out a couple years ago. Uh, it stars uh, Rose Byrne and Dom Domnall uh, Gleeson. I'm never like 100% sure how to pronounce his name. <laughs> right. So just uh, bear with me on that. And uh, this is a, a story about Peter Rabbit. And um, in the last movie, Rose Byrne and, and uh, this guy, his name's Thomas, got together 
And Rose had had a close relationship with Peter. And so it really is about the tense relationship between Peter and Thomas. And that continues this time around. Thomas is still uncertain whether Peter is really on the up and up as a, a good rabbit. And Peter starts to kind of internalize some of those things, heads off to London, meets a ne'er-do-well ne'er -do rabbit named Barnabas, gets involved in a heist. And if you're like, wow, there's a lot going on in this movie, uh, that's exactly right. There's a lot going on here. So <laughs> uh, if you saw the first one, you know pretty much what to expect here. This is a, a fun, whimsical take on... Uh, the whole Peter Rabbit thing. And our reviewer, Bob Hoos, I love what he wrote in his review. He said, in a very self-aware meta turn, this film plays with the idea of updating B's Peter Rabbit story, transforming the rabbits into commercialized moneymakers that don't fit the author's initial sweet purpose. So that's the other thing that's happening is she's writing a Peter Rabbit book. Um, and they want, basically they want to exploit the Peter Rabbit story. So, um, you know, there's a lot to be said here about friendship, about family, uh, about forgiveness and, and how we learn to trust each other, even sometimes when, you know, <laughs> we don't always like each other very well. Mm, interesting. Well, coming out of Nickelodeon, which is a popular kids TV channel, and they have a lot of different shows, maybe SpongeBob SquarePants was the original Nickelodeon show that uh, made an impact. But I know that uh, there's been a lot of um, different takes on family and on sexuality that has been coming out of Nickelodeon that certainly our kids are going to need to pay attention to and, and families as well. But a recent show, Danger Force, is sort of this campy superhero kind of show that Nickelodeon is want to have from time to time. What do we see here? Well, you know what? I actually want to, if we can, Peter, can we turn back to movies before we go to TV? Because there's yeah. a couple other things you out cover this week. Yeah, please. Hitman's Wife, you want to cover that? Well, and actually there's some new things out this week. Hitman's Wife came out last week, but I want to touch on Luca. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. It's Disney+. Luca Plus. Yep. is the new Pixar movie that came out this week. Sorry to like totally hey, railroad we, the well, conversation. We have 2,000 things to cover. I'll follow your lead, Adam. I love it. Um. Luca is probably the biggest thing out this week that families may want to know about. And it's an interesting film about two boys in Italy who go on an adventure. And if you know anything about Pixar, you're probably thinking, come on, there's got to be more to it than that, right? There's right. always a twist when it comes to Pixar stuff. And in this case, uh, these boys are both sea monsters. And if you go to our homepage, you'll see a picture of exactly what they look like when they're underwater – but you'll also see one of the boys, Luca, looking at his hand as it becomes a human hand. And so one of the main plot tensions here is that when they come on land, they magically transform into human beings and they look very human. Um, and their sea creature communities don't want anything to do with being underwater or with being with the people on Earth on the land and the people on land don't really care much for the sea creatures. So there's an antipathy there. Um, and Luca meets another boy named Alberto and Alberto, um, basically says, come on, all the fun is topside. You need to come up here. And so it's about their friendship. It's about the adventures that they have together. 
Um, but as we've seen in some other Disney and Pixar movies over the years, we also have a child who's being disobedient to his parents. We saw it in Finding Nemo. Uh, we saw it in Little Mermaid. Uh, and here it is again. So I think if you see this movie, and it's streaming for free on, on Disney+, Plus. I say for free because some of the movies that they have released over the last year or so, you have to pay a premium fee on top of your subscription fee. Um, <laughs> but this one is is just out there to watch starting today. Um, I think it has some great things to say about family, about friendship, um, but families may want to talk about that whole idea of when you get mad with mom and dad, you don't run off, you know, you don't run away. Um, and obviously it's a plot point here. It sets up the story, but uh, Alberto is not always the best influence on Luca, even though they have a great relationship. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to follow up with, Adam, is that there can often be a subtle antagonism that is represented in these shows between kids and their parents. And and of course, as parents, we fail often. I know you and I have even talked about there are different failures as parents in terms of doing the things perfectly the way that we might like. But that doesn't change the fact that parents are meant to be the primary voice and shepherding for our kids moving forward. And, and the, these subtle antagonisms that, well, parents are kind of dumb. Parents don't really know what's going on. Do you have any suggestions for parents that maybe where their kids are getting these messages in a variety of ways, how parents can sort of reestablish voice without being heavy handed about it? Well, I think for starters, let's, you know, be aware of what our kids are watching. And yeah, for sure. As, as innocuous as a lot of the, the Disney-ish stuff can be, there really is this trope of parents as clueless, you know, duddards who don't know anything. <laughs> right. And so I think that we step into that conversation and say, well, wait a minute, is that a fair and accurate representation. Um, and I think that we need to be talking about respect. Uh, we live in a culture that largely um, eschews respect. Man, in just about any direction you want to look, respect is an eroding uh, character trait. But, you know, that it's important to respect your parents. And as parents, it's also important to take a step beyond because I said so, right? I mean, yeah. We've all reached those moments of exasperation as parents mm -hmm. where we just want to say, well, this is just the way it is. And the older our kids get, mine are now 10, 12, and 14, <clears throat> they really need more than that. They need, they need to know that they're heard. They need to know increasingly what their agency is. You know, what do they have control over? What is in the sphere of their responsibility? And where you know, do they still need to submit to our decisions, even if they're not crazy uh, about what we're deciding? And so I think as our kids grow older, that conversation <clears throat> becomes really important so that the relationship is there. It's mm. not just authority, but it's relationship as well. And I think, unfortunately, um, those subtle dynamics aren't always represented very well in film and television uh, because parents are we're easy comedic marks, right? Right. Uh, and I find myself as a dad, even living down to the doofus dad stereotype sometimes. <laughs> right. But um, I need to be careful not to undermine my credibility as a dad, too. Uh, you know, living down to some of the stereotypes that are floating around out there. Yeah, indeed. I know for me sometimes, because I said so is a phrase that is code for, I don't really know, please leave me alone right now. <laughs> and I think right. we got to do better than that, right? In terms of empowering ourselves and seeing seeing the exactly. world through their lenses. Well, and, and uh, let me see, can I say one other yeah, thing? Please. I know we yeah. probably need to go to break. There is also that tension between truth and grace, right? right? Jesus came in grace and truth. And we have to understand What's needful for my kids right now? Is this a moment where grace really is 
the way that I need to operate with them? Or is this a moment where, you know, we really need the structure and um, the direction that truth gives us, even if it's uncomfortable? Yeah. Boy, walking and carving out space in that moment, I think is really well said, Uh, Adam. There's so much just need for equipping and and wisdom for parents because it really has shifted in the last generation in terms of what our kids are watching, what they have to confront. So thanks for what you do. I know PluggedIn.com is a great place to at least go to understand what our kids might be watching. Even if we can't watch it with them, we can certainly have some conversations based on that. And you're right, we should go to break here briefly. But when we come back, we've got a lot more to cover, including some headlines out of the show, The OC, and an actress who felt very much pressured to lose her virginity. And then we see in the reboot of the show Friends here recently, the 25th anniversary kind of brought it to mind and the stories of Fat Monica and and how that was maybe comedic in its time, but it brought a lot of pain to people as well. So we'll get your perspective on that next year on Mornings with Carmen. It's 19 minutes past the top of the hour. We're chatting with Adam Holtz and Peter Kapsner, filling in for Carmen LeBurge. And Adam, it's always pretty intriguing to me when we get a little behind-the-scenes look at what might be going on in Hollywood because we get, we get to know these actors and actresses based on how they present themselves on the screen, and we sort of assume that's the way it really is for them in real life. And often it's not the case, but there is kind of an interesting intersection here in the show The O.C. about that very thing. So take our listeners into that. Yeah, you know, this was a show that was popular... Uh, in the early 2000s, it was the teen show that teens were watching and were aspiring to. And Misha Barton played, <clears throat> excuse me, a pretty promiscuous teen. Um, and she describes the show. She says the kids in the show were quintessential rich, privileged American teenagers drinking, taking drugs, and of course, having sex. Um, and the interesting thing is, like you said, I think it's easy to just assume that the actors and actresses playing these roles are living a similar lifestyle, but she was fresh out of high school. She was 18 and she in fact was a virgin. And she goes on to say, and this was a, an article published uh, in a magazine in great Britain. She goes on to say, I knew it was important to get this thing. My virginity that was looming over me, the elephant in the room and you, if you will out of the way, Mm. I felt so much pressure to have sex uh, and eventually apparently did that with uh, a man in his 30s. Wow. Uh, and she goes on to talk about how um, how toxic that relationship was. Um, but, you know, she said even being a virgin at that time in that context made me feel like a fraud. I'm like, wow. Wow. What, a, what an amazing statement that, you know, here you have this young girl portraying something that she's not and you know she felt like she was living a lie would be the kind of phrase we would use as christians um you know peter we often talk about it plugged in how media how our entertainment choices influence our behavior and influence our worldview and here you have somebody admitting that the character she was playing caused her to make this incredibly important decision in her life Uh, And I I just I found myself being deeply sad and yet sort of profoundly aware of the reality that our entertainment choices really do shape how we see the world and what we see as normal and good and how we're expected to behave in it. 
they do really shape the world, Adam. I appreciate you bringing up that point. And, and I think without having the evidence to the contrary about why somebody might want to save themselves towards marriage, we've been talking a little bit on this show about, you know, it's one thing to be against critical race theory or it's one thing to be against uh, sex outside of marriage. But unless we can carve out what it is that we're for and to be able to depict things in, in a in a sobering, helpful, wise kind of way for people, then it, it's pretty hard for young people or any of us really to resist temptations if we don't know what it is that we're for and can depict it in a way that is as compelling as those things that we say we're against. No, that's exactly right. And we have to have an understanding, in this case, a theological understanding of the purpose and place of sexuality. Right. If we're going to have, I think, the kind of conversations that we need to have. And our culture is having a conversation about sex, whether we like it or not. And it really behooves us as Christians to understand that we have a very robust worldview in terms of understanding why God created this element in our lives. And um, our culture says two things. It says that our sexuality is everything. It's the core of our identity. Uh, It shapes everything, and it's the most important thing. And then culture turns around and says, uh, it's no, you know, it's a biological function. It's natural. It's mm. innocent. It's insignificant. Um, both of those are extreme positions, and we serve a God who says that this is an important function that represents being created in my image, and it's profoundly important because it leads to new life. But our sexuality is not everything. It's not the core of our identity. It's not meant to carry that much weight, and it's not nothing. And so. You know, we Christians sometimes be accused, get accused of being extreme in this, <laughs> but we actually have a middle road understanding that this, this element in our life is hugely important, but it's not everything and it's not nothing, which are the two messages that the culture sends about it all the time. Yeah, I, I just have been so grateful to be part of a human sexuality class that I teach, where for the first three weeks we talk about the wonder, beauty, power of sexuality. And, and I'm, I'm saddened, first of all, by how much media and different depictions have impacted the young people's point of view, these young evangelical kids. But then I'm, I'm uh, heartened by as they get exposed to the ideas of kingdom sexuality, that, that their eyes and their minds and their hearts begin to come to life. So there really is a an opportunity there. Adam, one more conversation that we can talk about is in the reboot of the series Friends, at least an anniversary show, it, it brought that show back into our minds, into our psyche. And, and one of the depictions that happened over those 9, 10, 11 seasons of Friends was sort of a retro look at one of the main characters, Monica, when she was back in high school. And she was yep. described on the show as Fat Monica. And it was sort of this ongoing joke on the show. And maybe at the time people laughed at that, but we're starting to see at least some people talk about this was really painful to have this being laughed at. So take us into this one. Yeah, you know, I I ran into this really interesting article in Vogue, and I confess I don't sit around reading Vogue (laughs) on a regular basis, but, you know, you see the links in in various places. And this is a woman looking back at growing up. She was like nine or 10 when this episode was airing and how it caused her deep shame and how it still causes her deep hurt today. Um, And she said, quote, When I watched Fat Monica dance on screen while eating a donut as a kid, I knew to laugh, but some part of me was uneasy. After all, didn't the women in my family, the ones I sat around with and watched Friends reruns with, have bodies that look more like Fat Monica's than that of her thin adult self? Even as a skinny kid, I could feel the specter of fat on the horizon, and soon enough it would catch up with me. But back then, Fat Monica was a thing I knew not to let myself become, 
if I wanted to be pretty or admired or asked out by boys. And the rest of the article really unpacks that and interviews some other women. And again, I think the power of sitcoms is the power of disarming us. When we're in a comedic frame of mind, we tend to not take things seriously. And it's easy to not think seriously about some pretty deep issues. And um, I don't expect to find a really plugged in kind of article in Vogue magazine. But again, this was really critiquing the worldview here that they were representing by turning Fat Monica into a joke. Um, and she's this art, this author really unpacks that idea that when we turn being overweight into a joke, it does incredible damage. And I think on a broader sense, it's good for us to ask the question, what are we being invited to laugh at? And where are we accepting that invitation uncritically and maybe being desensitized to issues that we need to think much more seriously about. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's one thing to, to take in some of this media, but to take it in with uncritical thinking is, you know, where there's such a heart of the issue. Adam, thanks for walking us through so many of these different TV shows and situations in our media. You do such a great job at PluggedIn.com. Love chatting with you on Fridays like this. Thanks, Peter. Great talking with you today. Yeah, I'll take a short break for some Breakpoint. We'll uh, cover a little bottom of the hour news. And we've got a pretty intriguing book called The New Reformation in which we'll talk about, again, the intersection of race and our culture from a kingdom standpoint. We've talked quite a bit this morning about the idea of reconstructing a point of view that is biblical, not just what we are against, but what we are for. And we'll do just that here coming up in the last half an hour of the show for the 18th of June. You know, there are always so many different conversations to unpack in our culture, and we do just so many of those kinds of conversations on this morning show. And one of the big ones that we're talking about here recently, and especially today on a day like Juneteenth, is the racial reconciliation conversation, critical race theory, ways in which we want to try to bridge the gap between us as different kinds of people and people groups. And uh, we've been talking a lot this morning about reconstructing a way forward. And we have author and rapper Shay Lynn joining us next with a book called The New Reformation. Really interesting take on how to move forward. I appreciate both the theological sophistication of this book as well as the accessibility. So stay with us. We'll be chatting with author Shay Lynn next. This is Max Lucado. When we stand at the altar of Christ on the final day, we will appreciate the influence of those who stepped out and spoke up to help us. You can do this. Do not shrink back. Step out and speak up. After all, you're an ambassador for Christ. Can the ambassador stay silent? You're a co-heir with Christ. Can the heir remain silent while blessings are available? Of course not. After Jesus admonished Martha, he did the unthinkable. He went to the tomb and he wept for his friend. And then he shouted for the dead Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus did. He exited the tomb. But don't think for a second that Lazarus was the only miracle that day. Jesus resurrected the brother from the dead, but he also resurrected Martha's heart from despair, and he did both with words of power. This is Max Locato, and this is how happiness happens. Just about 21 minutes before the top of the hour here on the 18th of June. And so happy to be joined by author and rapper, theologian, uh, songwriter, all of the above, Shai Lin, joining us to talk a little bit 
about racial reconciliation. And again, one last time, we've been talking a bit about the deconstruction of critical race theory, perhaps on some levels. But if we can't reconstruct and wonder about a pathway forward, we really don't have the ability to lead uh, moving forward as believers. Good morning, Shai. Good morning, Peter. Great to have you on the program here. I know we've got this book called The New Reformation and uh, highly recommended for our listeners that want to educate themselves, but also equip themselves to be people of light in our culture that are helping bring us back together in some of these such just heated moments of time. So tell us a little bit even about your backstory and, and what led to this book. Yeah, so I'm uh, born and raised in Philadelphia, PA, and uh, became a Christian as an adult. And uh, what, what I share in the beginning of the book, I share my story about how um, I was immediately thrust into a couple of different worlds. So the, the world of my mother's church, which is a, a traditional African-American uh, church, a Baptist church. And at the same time, um, the world of uh, 10th Presbyterian, uh, which was a predominantly white church. And, uh, and, and basically, um, you know, as a, a person with a, a hip hop background, um, finding my way culturally in those different settings and, and really from the very beginning of my walk with the Lord, the, the, the issue of uh, ethnicity and, and, and how uh, believers from different backgrounds uh, can come together in Christ as one, that, like, that issue was, was at the forefront uh, from from the very beginning, and uh, and so from from there, I I ended up um, going to a, a Capitol Hill Baptist Church where I where I did an intern internship there in Washington D.C. and um, and and it was really around 2012 when uh, the Trayvon Martin uh, shooting happened uh, that there we really began to see this this divide uh, between many. Uh, African American and and white Christians uh, over this issue of of racial justice and and how 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 do we respond to it in uh, in in a biblical way and uh, and so uh, you know as we all know over the last few years uh, in many ways the the dividing lines have gotten uh, more sharp and and stringent and the conversations on on all sides of the issue have become uh, volatile and, and hostile and and so. What I really wanted to to do in, in writing this book was to um, was to uh, write something that would be biblical and unifying and and compelling um, on uh, on this issue. Shai, I think one of the things that I appreciate that you do is in order to carve out uh, some space for the future, we so often have to look back into the past a bit. We we can look back into the theological past and we read the scriptures for understanding some of the origin of the strife. But even in the more recent past as well, people like Martin Luther or other voices from our past in terms of what we can learn there. So just tell us a little bit about just that idea of going backwards and what you learned as you went backwards to help inform the conversation moving forwards. Yeah, and this was a critical question for me personally, because as I began to just look back at the history of the church in America following the Reformation, one of the things that I found to be really grievous is that oftentimes, sadly, when it came to the issue of race, that many uh, within the church were were complicit in in some of the you know, race based atrocities that 
uh, that happened, things things like slavery in America, uh, where um, you know you have oftentimes professing Christians who are slave owners. Uh, we have things like the you know the history of the SBC, which was uh, founded out of out of uh, a, a desire to to preserve the ability of of, of slave masters to um, participate in in missions, and uh, and so you know you, you have that kind of kind of ugly history there. And and what I wanted to do was was to go back to the Reformation and the Protestant Reformation and look at the the doctrine and and the question that was on my mind was is there anything inherent within the doctrines of the Reformation that would lend itself towards blind spots in in this particular area and and, and what I discovered is is that it, it wasn't the the doctrine itself things like the you know the five solas of the Reformation which saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone you know based on the scriptures alone you know that. Uh, there's nothing inherent within that that would lead to blind spots. Um, but what I did discover is is that you know in the time of of Martin Luther, one of the things that that helped to propel the the Reformation was the the invention of the printing press mm-hmm. around the same time. And, and and what I learned is that back at that time in Europe, uh, a very small percentage of the population was literate. And so in order to to engage with, with with these kind of high theological concepts and and to p- particularly uh, to engage in the conversation that was happening, you had to be able to read and and so reading was something that was 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 uh, something that that only the uh, the the wealthy the the elite in society had the the ability to do uh, and so I think that that was was more of the issue concerning the the blind spots in the doctrine itself. Yeah, I think that's so important when you when you highlight that, Shai, is that uh, sometimes I'll talk with my students in class that we think about the kingdom or we think about relationships or we think about Jesus, God, whatever, in, in certain kinds of ways. And the origin of that thinking, sometimes we're very much unaware of it. And so it's very helpful to trace backwards in our past, not necessarily to demonize the past, but to understand the past in a certain kind of way, because otherwise we just get locked in the same thinking. We don't know, hey, wait a second, this came out of this time or this came out of this time. And it doesn't mean it's it's all wrong or bad, but it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be asking myself some pretty hard questions about why I think, how I think, and be willing to change so that the circumstances dictate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, let's uh, take a short pause right here because there's some specifics I want to get into in your book as well. Again, we're talking with author and songwriter, rapper Shai Lin about the book, The New Reformation. And Shai has some pretty intriguing ways to to think about this moving forward from the the place of uh, just a general sin that exists in this world to more of the ethnic sins. And it's one of those things that we don't talk about often. And and I think Shai will do a great job helping us walk through that. You can head to Amazon. You can head to Oh, christianbook.com. Any of the sites would have this book. Again, I highly recommend it as we're reconstructing a faithfully biblical way moving forward, reckoning with racial reconciliation in a helpful way. About 12 minutes before the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmela Burge. We are chatting with Shai Lin this morning in the book, the, the Reformation, uh, finding hope and fight uh, for ethnic unity. Shai, it's obviously it's Juneteenth today. Um, is this something just from your background in history that is specifically meaningful? Like, how, how are you understanding and experiencing a day like today? Yeah, so Juneteenth is, is actually new <laughs> on, yeah, on my right. radar. So, <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah, it really hasn't been. Um, it's really only been in the last, 
maybe five or six years that, that that's been something that that's on on my radar um but um you know one of the things you know as a as a husband and a father of of three uh, beautiful young children um <laughs> one one of the things that I, uh, that we always try to uh, emphasize with them is to uh, is to know the bible and to know the lord and to also know uh, their history and 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 the history of of their background so we, we it's something that we're you know we don't just kind of spend one day kind of dealing with it but it's yeah. it's a it's a daily reality for us yeah, it's good. That's that's one of the other uh, things that we can fall into sometimes is we we celebrate something for one day and then we forget about it the rest of of the year. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's it's a very helpful point. Say we were talking a little bit off the air, you and me, about the difference between just sort of a generalized fall and a generalized sin in which we all share, and maybe some of the more specificity around ethnic sin. Tell us about this mm-hmm. concept uh, in terms of what you mean by this. So what I wanted to do was, you know, as as I as I looked out out on the conversations that are happening on social media, one of the things that I found lacking is, uh, is biblical specificity when it, when it comes to these issues. And uh, what I did not want to do was, was allow the, uh, the world to kind of hijack how Christians talk about these things. And, um, and so I, I make the case in, in the book that, um, when it comes to talking about, you know, what we know as as race uh, or racism, that the the proper biblical term would actually be ethnicity, that that has a a stronger biblical foundation. Um, and 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 so I, I I wrote about how you know when we when we talk about race or uh, racism, that that category is is very challenging in the sense that it it's already loaded with unbiblical assumptions about uh, about humanity about anthropology um and and what we understand is that uh, biblically biblically speaking there's only one race which mm. is the the human race um and and so when we when we talk about racism uh, you know as as commonly used it can be so so broad that it says uh too little and too much at the same time so for instance when many people hear racism they think the Ku Klux Klan, or you know, Dylan Roof, the the white nationalist who murdered nine uh, black church members at a Bible study in Charleston in 2015. Uh, that is racism being conscious hatred toward another person or group because of their race that leads to violence against them. Um, but then, you know, other people when they speak about race, they speak in terms of systems and institutions that you know have uh, detrimental effects, even when there's no personal animosity there. Um, and so, uh, so that, you know, if if I if I refer to someone as a, a racist, where on the spectrum am I putting that person? Right? You know, it, mm. it's just it's just very ambiguous there. Um, and so, uh, so biblically, with with the proper terminology being ethnicity, I identified in the Bible common ethnic sins. Uh, and so, one being ethnic hatred. So that's something that usually when people speak of racism, that they're talking about ethnic hatred, an active disdain for a person based on their ethnicity. But then there are other other things like that, are, you know, maybe even more subtle, such as ethnic pride, right? So that's more subtle. It's when you have feelings of superiority concerning, you know, whatever ethnic group you belong to. Um, there's ethnic favoritism, you know, giving unjust preferential treatment to a person or a group based on their ethnicity. There's ethnic idolatry, which would be elevating one's own ethnicity to a place that causes that person to break the law 
of God. And so when, when, when we speak, and I have a couple of other categories, but when we speak in a more nuanced way, then it's going to be more helpful for us to, to see all of us, to see ourselves, you know, who, who doesn't struggle with some form of ethnic pride on some level. Um, and so um, I was hoping to, to chart a, a way forward by, by being very specific in, uh, in the language that we use. Yeah, I think it's, again, incredibly helpful. Uh, the New Reformation, Finding Hope and the Fight for Ethnic Unity. If you're listening this morning, pick up this book. It's part of the reconstruction and moving forward. And you were hoping it was helpful, Shai, and I really do think it is. And part of where we want to leave people with today is that that subtitle that you have, you and I talked about it off the air a bit too, Finding Hope. I think that's what we're looking for, right? It's it's not just mm-hmm. continuing to yell and shout at each other and sort of sitting back and wondering, where's the hope? So where is the hope? How do we find hope in this, Shai? So ultimately, the, the hope can be found in the fact that as Christians with our Bibles, we know how the story ends, right? Mm-hmm. So if we go to the end of the book, <laughs> Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9, we see the, the, the glorified uh, church resurrected, surrounding the throne of the Lamb, people from every tribe and language and people and nation, worshiping Jesus Christ, our, our crucified and risen Savior. That's where this is all going. Mm. And so since we, since we know that, that gives us the, uh, the fuel to be able to pursue what Christ has already done for us in unifying us through his death and resurrection. Uh, and so a, a good pastor friend of mine once, once told me that, you know, whenever we're uh, kind of uh, stuck in the, uh, the trials of life and the challenges that, that come in the present, what we need to do is we need to look ahead to that glorious picture in Revelation and, and see ourselves there surrounding the throne, worshiping the Lord together, and then just back up, mm. <laughs> back up and, and recognize that that's where we're going. And so that, that's why we can have hope in this. I, I think that is spot on, Shai. I know there's a, sort of a big fam, uh, fancy theological term, I'm sure you know it as well, uh, called eschatological. It just simply means that we are people who look towards the future, the eschaton that is to come, and we ask God to make that some of that eschaton present in our current experience. That really is the hope that we live by, by the power of the Spirit as sin and death has been broken. And and we shine to that future in the present, at least in the limited ways, right, in, in this present mm-hmm. darkness, but we really do shine an authentic light in that way. Amen. Absolutely. Well, thank, yeah, thanks so much for the work that you do. Again, the book is The New Reformation, Shai Lin, Finding Hope in the Fight for Ethnic Unity. That last picture is a great picture to leave us with, Shai. Thanks again. Look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you, Peter. Take a short break and wrap up our show here for the 18th of June on Mornings Without Carmen. We Got a text from a listener thanking God for Shai Lin. The, line, the Lord shines so brightly through him. Praise God. Could not agree more. Boy, what a gift to have to wrap up our show here on uh, the 18th of June, Juneteenth, as we celebrate the emancipation of the African-American people in our country from the horrors of slavery. And I think Shai left us with a really important picture that we can go into the weekend with, and that's the idea that we really are people of the future. We, we are time travelers, as it were, in a certain kind of way, where it is our future that we see in those beautiful chapters of Revelation in 22 and 23, where all tears are wiped away, where there is the river of life flowing from the throne and from the Lamb, and uh, that is a place in which he 
will shine. There will be no need for light or, or the sun or the moon because the Lamb himself is our light. And we walk as those children of light. And the great promise that Jesus said is that I will be present in this way in you, even in your perishable bodies, as you wait to be raised imperishable. And so shine the light of the future. Shine the light of the coming restoration in the presence and in, in, in the present moment in terms of how you are with one another, in terms of how you live, in terms of how you love, in terms of how you see each other, the way you talk, the way you express yourself. I will indwell you as a people with my spirit so that you can do just that. Shine the light of the future and call everybody safely home. Shy does such a good job with that in terms of the heat of racial reconciliation in these moments. So do pick up that book, The New Reformation. It's a great way to, to think about a way moving forward in the midst of all of this. Well, great to join all of you these last two weeks again. I'll be back in my normal guest chair next Thursday. Uh, Paul, so fun to be with you. Thanks for putting together these shows as well. You're welcome. It's great it's to, been great. Yeah, it has been great. It's been great to be with you as listeners, too. It's so encouraging to get up in these days and start our day together as we fix our eyes on Jesus, walking out this incredible historic journey that is actually, dare I say, real. There really is a real kingdom. There is a real Savior. There is a real Lord. We have been broken free from the power of sin and death. Let's continue to shine that light together in a culture that desperately needs it. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll catch you soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.